0: Let's pray as we get into God's Word. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given to us. Lord, this is Pentecost Sunday. And so we remember, Lord, that this is the day that in the, in the beginning of the church, when you've in, you empowered the church to go do what you called us to do by filling us with your Spirit. Father, And we thank you for the presence of your Spirit here today. We also thank you for your Word. For your word and your spirit have been given to your church, and Lord, you know what we need and what, what equipment we need and all that we need, and you've given us your word and your spirit. And Father, we thank you that this word is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and this word is spirit and it is life. And we thank you that it contains the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God, all that we need to know who you really are and what you've done for us and what you want to do in us and through us. And we thank you that you've given us the precious Holy Spirit. ...who lives in us and is here present with us also. And your word tells us that there are things in your heart... ...that you have prepared for those who love you... ...that we've not yet seen, heard or even begun to imagine... ...but that your spirit's been given to us to reveal them to us. And so we thank you, Father. We trust him to do that again today as he has done so faithfully... ...for the Holy Spirit to take what you have put in my heart... ...and the words that are on these pages... ...and to breathe the breath of life into our lives and into our hearts... And we thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. As always, we'd like to welcome those that are listening live by way of WSTL this morning. And uh, you've come into the teaching part of the service here at Faith Christian Center on this Pentecost Sunday. That's not what we're going to preach on. But we've been talking now for a few weeks about what I believe is the most important subject in the Bible. Because in order to do what we've been looking at, really, and we're still just in the introduction to this subject But in order to do what what God's called us to do, both in our own lives and with one another, but also in the calling and purpose that God has for your life. And He does have a calling and purpose for every one of your life, every one of us. We we need to have this foundation established. It is a foundation. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's prayer for for the church at Ephesus and therefore for us here at, at FCC is that we be rooted and grounded in this. Rooted and grounded in this. And it is in what? It's in God's love for us. And that's what we've been looking at. We saw, and you can put up 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, we saw last week that there's a, that there's a distinction that you can, you, can, uh, you can believe God's love but not necessarily know God's love. 1 John 4, verse 16. Oh, I'll read it to you. It says, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. There's a reason why there's two different words in there. Because you can believe that God loves you, but not really know it. And the word know there means to know by experience. You have, you know, within you, you have two different believers. You have your mind that can believe things it's called mental understanding mental 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 uh, well mental understanding is the best one but you also have a heart and the bible says that to, in in proverbs to guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life so natural things we grasp and experience with our understanding but spiritual things are spiritually discerned. We don't have time to go into it this morning. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul talks about that. In fact, the verse that I quote in prayer almost all the time and did this morning, that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor is it entered into the hearts of men, all that God has prepared for those who love him. But the Spirit of God has been given to us to reveal them thing to us. Because it talks about a mystery. There are spiritual truths that are not grasped with our mind. They're grasped with our heart. And so you can know something in your head that you don't know in your heart. You can believe things in your head that you don't believe in your heart. And this is why many people struggle in faith because they've said, Pastor, I believe it. And what they really mean is I believe it in my mind. I understand it. I've accepted it. I've embraced it with my mind. But Jesus said it's with the heart man believes under salvation, that's what Romans says, but, but if, you, if you believe with your heart and not doubt in your heart, that's what Mark chapter 23, Mark 11, 23 and 24 talks about, it's what you believe in your heart, and, 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 and that's what I was talking earlier, when you're there you know it, you know you believe it in your heart, so he's talking about, he's not condemning any of us, but we're going to begin to look at evidence, do I really yet know the love that God has for me? I can believe it because I suspect all of us in here believe God loves us because it says so right up on the, on, the, on the back there. And it says so in the Bible. So if I asked you right now for a show of hands, how many of you believe God loves you? I'm sure all of you that are awake would raise your hand. But the question is, do I know that? Do I know that? Do I know that? I don't just believe my wife loves me. I know she loves me. I know Because I watched her go through some difficult times with me when she had every reason to not love me and she continued to love me. I know it by experience. I know it because I can feel it. I don't just know it in my head. I know it in my heart. And the question is, do we really know God's love for us? And we're going to look down the road in this, that the way you come to that knowledge is by revelation. Don't get hung up on that. We'll talk about that. So, we began to look at some areas of our life that maybe not be working the way they should be working. And the reason may well be because we don't yet know that love that God has for us. We believe it, but we don't really know it by, we're not resting in that love. And the first thing we looked at last time was that we're commanded to love one another. We're commanded to love one another. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, you have to turn there, says, Beloved, love is of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loves not, knows not God. So in order to be born, in order to love, you have to do two things. You have to be born of God and you have to know Him. And then John goes on to say that means those of us that really aren't loving one another, it's because we don't know God doesn't say because you're not born of God it says because you don't know him yet and we talked about this principle of of receiving and giving which we'll look at a little later on Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 verse 8 as he was commissioning the disciples he said freely you've received freely give and the first thing we saw in that is you can't give something you haven't received. And many Christians are trying to give away a love because they're supposed to that they've not fully received in their heart. And it gets, it, that becomes a work. That becomes effort. And we get frustrated and disappointed. And then when they don't respond back, we get mad at them. Then you're not flowing in God's love because we don't respond to him and he doesn't get mad at us. And then we saw the other thing about that is it's not just what you receive that you give, but how you receive it, and we'll see that even more so today. So that if you receive, if you receive from God things as an obligation, as of, out of fear, you're going to tend to give away that same fear as you received it. And so this is a very important subject. Very important subject. Then we talked, saw that uh, Galatians 5, 6 says that faith works by love. And so the reason many of our... We're operating in faith... But I believe what God's Word says. I believe that the Bible says I'm healed. Then why am I not? And we get angry. And we're going to learn... We learned that faith works by love. And, and we saw in Mark chapter 11 verses 23 and 24 where Jesus said you shall speak to the mountain and say unto be cast in the sea and shall not doubt in your heart but believe but shall not doubt but believe in your heart that what you said shall come to pass you shall have whatsoever you saith. and then verse 24 talks about praying it he says therefore i say unto you whatsoever things you desire when you pray believe you have received it and you shall have it i mean those are foundational scriptures for praying in faith how come it's not working because verse 22 says have faith in God. So the foundation, why can I believe something I can't see? Why can I believe that the Bible, why can I believe that Jesus took my sicknesses and carried my diseases over 2,000 years ago when I have symptoms in my body, when that headache is still there, that growth is still there. How can I believe that when I've asked God and I don't see this thing going? How, how can I believe that when, I, when my senses are telling me it's not working? And the Bible's answer is, you can take God at His word because of His character. But if I don't know that love, if I don't know that God loves me, it's hard to trust Him. It's hard to trust Him. We're going to see that even more so today. So now we're going to go to another issue, which is all related to this. We're going to talk about answers to prayer. So 1 John 5. And we covered this scripture last week when it came to faith. But their faith and prayer are inexorably connected because you've got to pray the prayer of faith. You've got to believe when you pray, you have your answer. Foundational. Verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in Him. So in order for this to work, and this is what Mark 11, 23 and 24 talk about, we have to have confidence in God. That's the same as Jesus saying, have faith in God. And as I shared with you last week, what we tend to do is we live out there in an ordinary world, operating under ordinary principles, and we understand basic principles we operate, that you can only trust somebody as you get to know them. When I first meet somebody, in other words, other than a casual relationship, and they start saying things to me, I watch what they do. There was somebody in that, that, that um, uh, I shared, what I shared with you earlier, with somebody who doesn't go to this church and I said, would you please not tell anybody because until I've shared with the congregation what I want to share. And he said, oh, absolutely. And then two weeks later somebody else called me and says, you know what so-and-so told me? Well, I, no- I noted that. I love them, but my trust level just dropped. Why? Because I, I, I gave them the presumption that they would keep their word and they didn't. Now, I can't throw stones, and neither can you, unless you've never failed to keep your word. So I forgave him, I love him, but that doesn't mean i got to trust him back at the level where I had before. And so we understand this in, in, in real life, <laughs> that we trust people only as they gain our trust, or, or otherwise we presume to give them trust, but then if they break that trust, then they have to reestablish it. And it takes time. It only takes a moment to break trust. It takes a long time to reestablish that trust. And so, that, but the, if that's true with us, with one another in relationships, shouldn't that also be true with God? And not only that, I can see Tim. So if I'm talking to him and he's telling me, Pastor, I'll do exactly what I said, I can look in his eyes, I can hear the tone of his voice. I can look at, you know, if he won't look at me, he says, Pastor, I'm going to do just what you said. Ah, okay. So we have some, some assistance when it comes to trusting one another's words when we can look at each other and see him. I can't see God. I can't look in his eyes to see. Is he looking at me, paying attention when he said this to me? Not only that, this is written word. It's not even spoken to me. So I have to have some other basis under which to trust him. So I'm not going to trust anyone even myself, and that's another lesson in itself, I'm not going to even trust myself unless I know I can trust my character and my word. So foundational for having confidence that God's answering our prayers is you've got to know him. Well, he's God, he's got to keep his words. I understand that's what it says. But what's he going to do when the push comes to shove, when the rubber hits the road as we talked about? What's going to happen when everything that you thought was fine suddenly gets turned upside down? Now you find out what you really believe. And that was one of the things I went, God, now I'm going to find out what I really believe. Because you have different levels of belief, you know? You have different levels of belief. And so we have to learn to trust him. So this is what the Apostle John's talking about. This is the, now, understand this is a man that knew him, he knew Jesus. As a disciple, when he walked on this earth, John was the one the closest to him. He's known as the apostle of love. He was the last of the surviving of the the original apostle, of the the apostles of the Lamb. And the rumor has it, the story out there, it's not in the Bible, so it's just a story, is that they couldn't kill him. They tried to boil him in oil one time, they tried to do all kinds, they couldn't kill him. Because his main thing was love. He knew how much Jesus loved him. We talked about that several weeks ago. And he loved him back. John's the one that Jesus decided to reveal to him the prophecy of what was to come, the book of the Revelation. It was brought to John on the Isle of Patmos. So of all the apostles, of all the men that have ever known Jesus, John knew him maybe the best of all, certainly of the apostles. And this is what John says. This is what I know about him. This is the confidence that we have in him. This is the confidence that we can have in Him because of His character, His nature. And this is what I know about Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. That's an incredible statement. So, well, Pastor, I've asked some things that were according to His will, and I don't have them. Well, one of you is not telling the truth. Because if you said, I did it and it didn't work, then one of you is not right. Because you can't both be right. And this is one of the mistakes we make. Is we take God's word and we go try it out. And if it doesn't work, we now question God's word. So we have much more confidence in our experience, which is affected by all kinds of things, including our own unbelief and the unbelief of those around us, and we're willing to throw out God's word that's eternal, that never changes. So we have to make a decision, what am I basing my life on? Regardless of my experience, if my experience doesn't line up with that word, then there's something wrong in my experience, i got to ask that. Instead of getting mad at God, because when you're mad at God, that does, does no, no good. Because you're not going to change him by getting mad at him. You don't want to tick him off, well you won't. He's very patient. Oh, he's so... Oh, is he patient? And is he long-suffering? I've tested it out. He's long-suffering. Don't test it out, but but he's long-suffering. He's your Father. He wants us to get there. He wants us to get there. (laughs) I was sharing in the four-year... Uh, before the service uh pam who works in our office and, and pedro their little son carlos i was talking to gary and lucy they're, his they're pam's parents the grandchild grandfather and grandmother and, and Car- a couple weeks ago carlos was in here trying to a little over one year old. well they they, they were telling this is the grandparents he walked i think from one room to one building to the other he, he he actually walked from one place to the other and he was so excited, but he wasn't half excited as the grandparents were. Yeah. <laughs> and God looks down on us. And, and some of us are, are, even though we've been around a lot, we're, we're just learning to walk in this stuff. And so we're holding on to the coffee table. I still see our daughter when she took those first steps. It, it, she's holding on to the coffee table and you get out here. We're trying to get the courage to step out. And then finally we begin to, you know, and we boom, fall down. And the parents come and they scoop them up and say, that's okay, dear. Let's go do it again. Why do you think God's any different with us as a father? He, when you begin to step out and say, you know, I'm not going to cling to what's safe for me anymore. I'm going to learn to trust you in areas that I've not trusted you in before, because he's worthy to be trusted in every area, and we begin to step out. He's a father. He's, go, 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 go. You're doing it. Go, go, go. <laughs> That's okay. Get your breath, and let's go try it again. If, if we as parents that, are, that, that have issues and have our own issues in life, if we do that for our children, how much more does your heavenly father do that? I've heard people say that when Jesus got Peter back in the boat after walking in the water, they rebuked him and, you know, he was mad at him. I don't believe He's mad at him. I think he was frustrated. Jeez, Peter, you were doing it. You did what the rest of them wouldn't do. You were walking. <laughs> Just like a child. You were walking. And you suddenly, that's what happens. They'll get out there stumbling around, and, and they're looking at the goal. They're looking at mom or dad. And as long as they're looking at mom, i never taught this before. This is good. Looking at mom or dad, they're walking. But suddenly they'll stop and realize where they are. I've never done this before. And then they fall, just like Peter did. And Jesus said, Peter, you were walking. You were doing it. I don't think he was angry at him. God loves you. God loves you. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. But you can't have that confidence in Him if you don't know Him. I don't mean know about Him. I mean know Him. And the most important thing is to know He loves you. See, when that child's trying to walk, stumbles and falls, what does the parent do? They scoop them up, they brush their knee off, they say encouraging words, and they help them to start again. Why? Because they love that child. They love that child okay so it helps you it's foundational to answered prayer because other than that we're trying to work a system we're finding out all right what do you have to do to get your prayers answered and I've got books on prayers and answered and like there's 12 things you got to go through and it's like it's just discouraging because by the time I get to number eight I've already violated three of them (laughs) and it's like I can't do this is too hard to do well faith is is the easiest thing in the world when you know who it is you're talking to. See, faith is just, an out, is, is just a byproduct of knowing how much God loves you. Because it's faith in Him. It's not, faith is not a thing you take apart from a relationship and say, all right, now what do I have to do? How do I do this? Faith comes out of a relationship with Him. And the whole, all the focus is on Him, not on me. And what we've done is we've taken faith principles which turn all the focus on me, what I have to do. And there is a part I have to do, but it's a response to knowing what he's done for me out of love. Out of love. All right, we've got to move on. The next thing, and this is a real tough one. Go with me to uh, Romans chapter 4. Many of us struggle with this. Many of us, and we, and we don't talk about it with one another. So we come to church, we hear good messages, and we leave condemned. And when we leave condemned, we feel discouraged, which affects our confidence before God. We're going to talk about obedience. Oh, I, I tighten up the moment I say that word. Everybody say this word, obedience. obedience. See, you can say that and survive, okay? I'll make this statement. It's difficult to obey somebody you don't trust. Amen. Tony Cook, who they, is going to be coming here in a few weeks, has a wonderful message saying Are you serving a taskmaster or a shepherd? In Egypt, they served a taskmaster. The master was there, he gave orders, they provided, they gave orders and directions and they served that taskmaster out of fear. If they didn't do what they were told to do, they would be beaten and ultimately executed. But King David's revelation of what God is like is the Lord is my shepherd. I was reading a devotional a couple of years ago and saying there's a difference between having a master and being mastered. If you're mastered, you've got a taskmaster that's ordering you around and you do it out of fear, not out of relationship. But a shepherd has a relationship with the sheep. The sheep will obey his voice because of the relationship that the shepherd has with the sheep. Because if those sheep are afraid of that shepherd, they'll run from him. They will not follow him. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and the voice of another they will not follow. And this has gotten into the church so deeply And we're going to talk a little bit about this. We may even not get out of this this morning. Romans 4 15. Very short, short verse. The law brings about wrath, but where there's no law, there's no transgression. What I want to see is the old covenant was, hello there, the old covenant was based on wrath, anger. It was a covenant that God entered into the children of Israel with Moses, and they agreed to the covenant. And God says, Hear my commandments. If I if you do these things, this is what I will do for you. And they agreed to that. But under that covenant, the standard of failure was death for many things. It was death for many things. And of course, they all failed. And and that generation died in the wilderness. So there was a curse that was under the law. But Jesus came to redeem us from the curse, having become the curse for us. But what I want you to see is the law was based on wrath, the anger of God. But we don't live under the law. There are some principles of it that carry over, but we do not live under the law. The clock went out, just so you guys don't know. So, no... we don't live under the law we live under grace I don't want to get into this morning does grace mean you can do anything you want? no and here's why here's why let's go to um, well the old covenant is based on fear of wrath let's go to Luke chapter 1 And this is in the middle of a prophecy given by Zacharias. Zacharias was John the Baptist's father. When, John, when, when it, John, Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth were old, they couldn't have children, and he was a priest serving in the temple. And one day he's in the temple doing his job, his ministry, and, and Gabriel himself appears to him. Gabriel, one of the archangels. And basically says your wife's going to have a baby and that's going to be the forerunner that's talked about in Malachi and in other prophecies of the Messiah that's coming. And, and Zechariah says, how can that be because we're too old? And he says, well, because of your unbelief, I'm going to have to shut you up so you don't keep talking about this and ruin the whole thing. So he said, you'll be silent until the boy's born. It's an interesting contrast because a little, just a few verses later, the same angel appears to Mary and tells her something even more miraculous, that you're going to be pregnant and, 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 and the one that's going to be in you is going to be the Messiah, the Son of God, and He's going to do this without you knowing a man. And she says, Be it done unto me according to your will. So Zacharias has had to be shut up until the baby's born and then they want to name him and they want to name him after him. And Elizabeth says, no, his name's going to be John. And they look at him and he writes out John. And the moment he writes that out and agrees with what God said, he can speak again. And now as he starts to speak, he prophesies. And so this is in the middle of a scripture where he's prophesying about the Messiah that his son is going to be the forerunner. of. everybody with me so far? We're going to just pick up here. So I want you to know that because this is talking about Jesus, what, what he's going to bring. Verse 74 we're going to talk about, yes, He'll be come to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. And the concern is if I'm not afraid of God that I won't serve Him out of holiness. In the old covenant that was true because they didn't, didn't have evidence of God's love for them. But in the, the new covenant, it's a covenant based on love and grace. And God wants us to serve Him because we love Him, not because we're afraid of Him. And many Christians miss this. What really concerns me is I see it in so many second generation Christians. Children that have been raised in church come out under a legalism. A pressure that if I don't do what's right, if I don't dress right, if I don't walk right, if I don't... And we miss the grace of God. Grace doesn't mean we can do whatever we want to do, but when you love God, you you don't want to hurt Him or offend Him. What if, what if I, my wife was at a a minister's retreat a few weeks ago, and it was the weekend of Mother's Day, and I just bought her flowers for her when she came home, and I wanted to make clear, this is not for Mother's Day, this is because I wanted you to know how much I missed you when it came, what if I did that because, oh my gosh, if I don't get flowers for her, she's going to be mad when I get home, (gasps) I can't have her mad, I mean, my goodness, I don't want to have her wrath let loose on me, and she doesn't, I'm just, I'm using this as an extreme. What if I, that's why I, so I, I got to get just the right flowers. I got, oh my God, that's fear out of what she's going to think of me. So I'm doing what's right, a good thing to do, but from the wrong motive. And that's what so many of us do with God. If I don't, if I don't do what's right, he's going he's to get me. He's going to be angry at me. God poured all his anger at you on Jesus on that cross all of it. I don't have time to go into it this morning but we'll go through some point in Romans 5 where it says that, that his wrath was poured out on Jesus so that he deals with us apart from wrath. He's coming back again for us apart from wrath but for salvation. All of God's anger at you for everything you've ever done wrong has already been vented on Jesus. All of his punishment For everything you have ever done wrong or will do wrong was poured out on Jesus so God could justly love you without regard to wrath. Does that mean I can't disappoint Him? Of course you can disappoint Him, but He still loves you. Of course you can can do things that are offensive to Him, but He still loves you. Does that mean there's no consequences to it? No. You stick your finger in a light socket, there's consequences to you. I may still love you, but you're still consequences to you. And that's what Romans 6 is all about. We don't have time to get into all that. But I want you to see here. When Christ comes, he's, he was, John 1 says, and, 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 the, and, and the word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We live under a covenant of grace. Hebrews 4 says, because we have a faithful high priest, therefore we can come with boldness. That word boldness doesn't just mean confidence, it means openness. We can tell him anything. Anything. Whether it sounds stupid, you think, to him. By the way, nothing sounds intelligent to God that comes from us. Nothing's impressive to God. God didn't didn't hear me last Sunday. He says, Woo, did you hear what John did? Wow, am I impressed? No, there's nothing you can do to impress God. What pleases Him is when we're open and honest with Him. What pleases when we take Him at His word and come to Him on the basis of this loving grace. What if your children obeyed you just because they were afraid of you? Some of you were raised under that. And what did it produce? What does it produce? So what do we do? Let's go to John 14. So he wants us to serve him without fear. There's a reverence, but that's not this fear. John 14. You getting anything out of this? Good. John fourteen fifteen. I used to struggle with this verse. If you love me, Keep my commandments. Now some translations say, if you love me, you will keep my tra- commandments. And I look at all the commandments and say, well, I'm doing well in some of them, but there's some of them mm, not every day. So I guess I don't love him. So what would happen is, it would interfere with my prayer life. I would always go to him and say, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't do this right, and you know, I'm, not, I'm not walking in love to the fullest, because we're going to see his standard of love as we lay our life down for one another. Well, I'm, I'm not doing that all the time. So I guess I don't love him. And it really interfered with my relationship until I began to one day to understand what this is really saying. This is not saying that we prove our love for him because remember we've learned we can't give him something we haven't received from him. This kind of love, we talked about this last week, this kind of love is a different type of love. It's not, you know, I look at you and say, boy, I love you, you know, I I, I love everybody that is like me or agrees with me. You know, there's a brotherly love that's based on mutuality, based on going through things together, based on things we have in common, based on people that love me. It's easy to love them back. But Jesus said the standard for the kingdom of God is we've got to love those that hate us. We've got to pray for those that despitefully use us. Well, that's not natural, to our human nature but it is natural to his nature because that's the kind of love he is and so when we look at that you know I suspect if we were all honest we all fall short you angry at anybody today well if are you, is there somebody you're still holding something against then you're not walking in this country that means you don't love him And that interfered. That's what that's how I read this. Until suddenly one day I realized that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is the fruit of your love for me will be born in your love for other people. The evidence of your love. You don't love other people to prove that to me. The evidence of your love for me is reflected in the love you have for other people. It's just like what we just saw earlier in 1 John chapter 4, where he said, If 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 you if you for those who, for every, I know the song, 1 John 4, 7. Is knowing God... No, no go back, John. You can do this. That, that if, we, if we don't love one another, it's not because we're not born of God, it's because we don't know Him. In the same way, when we struggle loving one another, it's because we're not giving that love back to Him because we haven't received it. So obedience, the obedience that He wants... Is a response to his love for us. That's what Romans six is all about. Romans six is in the middle of all this talk about grace, received by faith. And Paul says, There's some of you out there that saying, Well, okay, because right before in the end of verse five, he says, of chapter five, he says, he says, where where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Isn't that encouraging? He said, well, some of you are going to say, well, okay, then let's really test this. Let's abound in sin even more to see how much more grace is going to be bound. That's called presuming on God. And Paul goes into chapter 6, which says, you've missed the whole point. When you really see what God's done for you, you're going to want to serve Him out of your heart of love for Him, not out of some horrible obligation that you're always going to feel as if you're falling short And that's where so many Christians are. Some of you have come out of churches where that was intentionally put upon you. If your hair's the wrong length, if you wear the wrong clothes, if you wear makeup, then that means you're failing God. You don't love God. My goodness. It's the law. So many Christians are living under the law. And it's a burden. The Bible says God did not intend us to bear. You can't do it. And it keeps us from the relationship and the intimacy with Him. Why? Because we're always feeling as if we're falling short. And if I don't have confidence in my heart towards God, I won't come to Him because He might get ticked off at me today. I don't want to keep going and finding out how far. I know how far I'm showing short. I don't want Him to put a mirror up to me. I already know myself. so I don't even need to go talk to Him. And that's the mentality that many of us have struggled under. John 15, verse 9. Talking to his disciples. Listen to this. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. In other words, what I've received from him, I have given to you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will be abiding in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. So if one of the things we need to... Are, am I walking in joy? Is there joy in my life? If there's not joy in my life, then most likely I'm living under some obligation I can't live up to. Now, if you know you're living in sin, if you know you're living in a sin that you're not willing to repent for, you won't have joy because the Holy Spirit in you will convict you He'll bother you. That's part of His job so that you'll face it and repent of it and let go of it. God wants you to be free of it. He's not going to beat you up and condemn you. He just needs you to acknowledge it before Him, ask forgiveness, and He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9. So He'll do that. But many Christians are walking around feeling condemned and Jesus took that condemnation from you. For you. Okay. My joy will remain in you that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And I used to read that and it's true. That's the standard. We're to love one another as I have loved you. But what he's saying is, as I have loved you, now go love one another. He's not saying, go love one another and then I'll love you. i got to say that again because I need to hear this. He's not saying, look, you go love one another because I've commanded you, and if you do a good enough job of that, then I'll love you. Because you'll run out before you get in the parking lot. And so would I. No, what he's, I, never, I never even read this one that way before. So you're getting fresh stuff along with me. For, at least for me. Maybe you all know this, but just bear with me. What he's saying is, the way I've loved you already, and I've walked this out with you, I want you to now go give that to one another. But you can't give something you haven't received. Amen. You can't give this love unless you've fully received it. You'll give it to the degree you've received it. Okay, we've got to move on. In the Old Testament, we've talked about this when we talked about putting first things first. In Exodus chapter 19 God calls Moses up in the mountain. He says, I want to meet with my people. He just brought them out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of four years of bondage, and he brought them down to Mount Sinai. It's about a six month trip, but they're down there. And now God says, I want to meet with my people. And I want to meet with them because I'm going to come down on this mountain and I want them to fear me. Now, listen carefully what I say. I want them to fear me so that they'll obey me and do what I've told them to do. Because that will give them right, that then that will be the righteousness for them. And he said, these are the rules of how you're going to do it. So they had to consecrate the people. And so Moses comes, does that. And three days later, the people gather around the base of the mountain. And God comes down. Now, God never appears in the Bible in all of his fullness because you couldn't handle it. So God sometimes appears with different aspects of him. So God showed up on the mountain in all his fire and thunder and lightning to shake the mountain. He wanted to show them this power and His glory and His majesty comes down in a cloud and there's thunders and lightning and the ground is shaking and quivering. And God calls Moses up on the mountain and gives him the commandments. And then Moses comes down and the people say, this is a little more than we bargained for. Amen. Moses, this church you, you called us into, is a little heavy here. We like something a little more seeker-friendly. So we're going to go back to our tents. You stay here because you seem to be able to handle this. And you talk to him and whatever he tells you for us to do, oh, we're going to do it. But this is more than we can handle. So here's, here's what I want you to see. Moses and the Israelites saw the same thing. They heard the same thing. They felt the same ground moving under them. Moses goes back up to get nearer to him. In fact, on the mountain, he says, God, this isn't enough. I want to see you face to face. And God says, "Mm, you can't do that and live. But here's what I will do. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, which represents Christ. And then I'm going to pass by. And as I pass by, I'm going to give you a little peek of the back of me. God's willing to give him more because God didn't come down and says, I want to show you my hind I don't want to show my back but Moses says I want to know more of you. See what Moses had drew him to God. What the people saw drove them away. So one of the ways of knowing what's really going on in your life is are you drawn closer to him or is spending time with him an obligation? Is it hard work? Is it something you don't look forward to, which you need to do, then maybe you're seeing what the Israelites saw and not what Moses saw. Psalm 103 gives us the key to it. Psalm 103, I've forgotten which verse it is, somewhere around 10, says, Israel knew God's acts, His deeds. Moses knew His ways. Most of you know who my wife is, Anita, my beautiful wife of almost 49 years. Some of you know her better than others. Our children obviously know her better than all of you do, but I know her better than our children do. I know her ways. I don't know all of them yet. I'm still working on it. But I know her ways. I can tell when she enters a room kind of what's going on with her. I know her ways. The way I've described it before is, is, is we enjoy, we don't get to do it very often, dancing together. And when we first danced 50 years ago, it was awkward because I'm not exactly that coordinated. And, and, but she was trying to follow me. Now if we were to do it up here with music, you would see it's seamless. But she can tell when I begin to lean a certain way, she just flows with that leaning. And that's what Moses learned to do. He knew God's ways. He could flow with God. He could tell when God was angry whether it was okay to say, God, you know, I know you're angry at these people, but don't kill them. He knew God's ways, and the Israelites were afraid of him. And that's the distinction that so many people miss. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12, we're not going to take the time to turn there. In Hebrews chapter 12, after the writer of Hebrews has been correcting the Hebrew believers, in chapter 12, he talks about the fact that, that God corrects as a father, starting in verse 5. Whom a father loves, he will discipline and he goes through different levels of discipline and correction so that it will produce in those that will allow him. Verse 7 says, if we allow God to deal with us as children, then his discipline will produce in us the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So it's God wants to produce fruit in our lives. And, and if, we, if we don't just fall, flow with him, sometimes because he loves us, he has to discipline us. Listen carefully. He never punishes us. The punishment was poured out on Jesus. Punishment's motive is to get back at you for what you did. Discipline's motive is to change your behavior because I love you so that you can be the best of who you've been made to be. Different motive. God disciplines us because He loves us. But then He goes on and says, Don't become discouraged. This is to the Hebrews. He says, Because you're not like those that came to a mountain that had rumblings of thunder, and they ran away afraid. But you've come to Mount Zion, which is the presence of God, which refers to David's David's Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem. You've come to the the host of of men that have been made perfect in God's sight. You've come to the host of angels. You've come to a different experience. You've come to a God of grace, a God of love. One of the controlling fears in people's lives, so many Christians, is religious fear. Not fear of God, it's religious fear. It's man's idea of what we should do and not do and the motive that's behind it. Those verses are Hebrew, Hebrews 12, 18 through 24. We've come to a different place than they did in the Old Testament, we're not under that old covenant. And many Christians are still living under the old covenant of an eye for an eye and a tooth. We think God's going to get back at us for things we do wrong. God got back at us for things we do wrong, but he put it on Jesus. I was listening to somebody the other day that was talking about this, and they're talking about a, a situation with their children. Where, and and, there, and we don't, I don't have time to get into this this morning. We're going to do something on parenting later in the year, but there's a time, you know, when the Bible says when there's time to not discipline your child with a rod because they're at a different age. But there is a time to use a rod. You can say the word spanking in church. It is legal, you know, if the motor's right. It's it's a time-tested method. It's a time-tested method of applying a foreign object to a part of your body that's filled with nerves but can't be hurt that as it's applied lovingly but firmly sends signals to the brain triggering the tear ducts to open and fluid to flow and a sudden realization to go on in this child's mind I'm not doing that again called a spanking but there comes a time when that's they get old enough and it's, it's not productive And this pastor's child did something they weren't supposed to do and knew there were consequences to it. And he was struggling. All right, it's about time when I stop spanking. What is it I do? And the Lord said, it's time for him to learn grace and mercy. He said, what do I do? He said, son, you know that I told you that if you violate this rule in our household, you're going to get a spanking. I've got to keep my word. See, we think God's grace means, he said, ah, I I love you, therefore I'll let you go this time. See, then he would no longer, it says in in Romans 5 that God is both the the just and the justifier. See, if God just looked the other way and said, look, I understand your weaknesses, I understand your struggling, I understand, I really love you, so, you know, I know what my word says if you do that, but, you know, so we'll just kind of let you go this time. See, that's what so many of us as parents do. But then God would cease being right. Just he would, He'd violate his own word. And then how could we trust him for anything else? So how do you be just and still merciful? So here's what the father did. He said, son, I've got to keep my word to you. I told you that if you did this again, you'd get a spanking. But here's what I'm going to do. And he handled him the paddle. He says, I'm going to take your spanking for you. Now, as this guy said, I don't recommend that to everybody. (laughs) And he said, his son took the paddle in his hand, he looked at him, and tears formed in his eyes, and he fell apart. He couldn't do it. He said, I've never had to discipline him again. See, somehow we're afraid in our religious minds. That if we don't have this fear in front of us all the time, that we that we'll that we'll go, oh, I can't trust myself. I'm just gonna go haywire if I don't have that fear. That's the old covenant. They didn't have a reborn spirit. they weren't, they didn't have God's nature on the inside. See, if you've not received Christ, that's what you're like. You can't be, you can't trust yourself. But the Bible says when we come to Jesus, when we bring, when we're born again, God literally takes his own nature and breathes that into you just as Mary had that child breathed into her womb you have a brand new Ezekiel 36 says God prophesying about this I will take out your old heart of stone and I will put in a heart of flesh and then I will put my spirit in you so that you will now walk in my statutes because you want to it says Hebrews quotes this also from Jeremiah where God says I will write my laws in your heart not on stone not on tablets on your wall but I will put put in your heart a desire to do what's right also a conscience that if you don't do what's right in other words I'm going to come live in you you're going to be my child so you will know in your heart what's right and wrong because I want you to do what's right because you love me in response to your love for me this is the rest Hebrews talks about to enter into because all the other things are focused on me. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing it enough? Am I giving enough? Am I praying enough? Am I, am I, am I doing this enough? It's all focused on me and you never will do enough. You'll never... I've, taught, I've heard from some of the most strongest faith ministers and they say, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. You never will because you have an enemy out there to tell you you're not and then you've got your own mind telling you you're not. So stop trying. Trust Him. See, when we're struggling to try to be enough, do enough, and say enough or whatever enough... Then we're always focused on us and we never go about doing what He's put us here to do. We're always working on ourselves. So we're never going out there, which is where we're called to go. We're always in here getting repaired from the terrible job I did this last week. So I'm still good enough to at least go back out there into my life instead of going out of there charged saying, Oh, the grace of God I've been given, I want to give to everybody I can find. We talked last year about the good news. This is the good news. God loves you, yes. no matter what you do, because it's not based on you. Is He pleased with everything you do? No, I've not been pleased with everything our children have done, but I love them. Yes. It doesn't change my love for them. They're still our child. Yes. Well, I'm not better than God, and neither are you. Praise the Lord. I want to open one. We're all going to open. we going to. It's like this is like we have a practice in our family when the kids were home. We would open one package the night before. I'm going to open this one because I want you to see. This is, this is maybe the biggest one. The one I have talked about is, is really one of the most important ones. But this is the one that, 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 that will hit, I think, all of us. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I was there a minute ago. Where is it? I'm just going to open this and then we're going to verse 17 no first Peter that won't do here we go the love has been perfected among us in this that we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world that's a whole series there Verse 18, there is no fear in love because perfect love, that means matured love, casts out fear because fear involves torment and he who fears has not been made perfect or complete in love. So one of the symptoms, when I don't know for sure, don't know I believe but I don't know the love that God has for me is when there's fear in my life because fear and the love of God cannot coexist when you know how much God loves you you will not deal with fear and I'll close with this we're going to sing a song I'm going to close with this I've known several men friends that have had an after- a death experience one of them was a client, and I've forgotten. I think he died on the operating table and was dead for a few minutes and then came back to life. And I was talking with him about the experience, and he said, John, it's impossible for me to fear. I've seen heaven. I've seen Jesus. I mean, seen him. I can't fear. I have no fear. Amen. He said, and see, some of you look looking like, huh? That means you don't know this kind of... Life. Because he said, when I saw him... I saw how much He loves me, and I cannot fear even if I try to. We're going to leave you with that, and we're going to pick up there next week. If you're struggling with fear in any way, you need to hear what we're going to say next week. A few weeks ago, we closed with this song. It's just a simple song, but it's really gripped my heart about how much God loves us. We shared with you that week about how what changed the difference between Peter and John. Peter was so confident and bold in his love for the Lord and he failed. John was confident in Jesus' love for him and he was at the foot of the cross. He's the one that didn't desert him. Not because he was confident in his commitment to Christ. He had a revelation of how much Jesus loves him.